Welcome to the Purpose and Principles Podcast. My name is Max Brown, and my guest is Dave Balter. Dave is the CEO of Flipside Crypto, which provides business intelligence to crypto organizations. And previously, Dave was the co-founder and CEO of Smarterer, a skills assessment company that was acquired by Pluralsight in 2014. But Dave, you've also done so many other businesses and, and led so many different interesting projects. And now, writing a book that just really caught my attention. I'm so grateful that we've been able to reconnect a book titled The Humility Imperative, Effective Leadership in an Era of Arrogance. Dave, welcome to the Purpose and Principle Show. Hey, thanks, Max. Always good to chat. I am grateful that we've uh, been able to reconnect through this. I know that you're very active in the Boston Seed Capital community, you know, and helping venture capitalism and helping people understand how to just be good entrepreneurs. But then you write this book called The Humility Imperative. How, how do you do that and be successful in business? What are you, what's your take? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, look, you're every, everything, you, you have choices of what you're going to do and what you're going to focus on. And, uh, you know, I have two outlets. Um, outlet one is um, building companies and, you know, uh, defining ideas and helping teams deliver. Um, and outlet two for me is writing. I, I, I started uh, writing in earnest in college and um, I chose it as my creative outlet and my art form. And, uh, you know, if, if I can't put it on paper, it didn't happen. That's what I say. Well, I'll tell you, this particular <laughs> book, and I do read a lot of books and, you know, interview a lot of people, not only for the show, but just in coaching executives. Uh, this is a really good read. And I really enjoyed it. And, and yeah, I've read a couple of your pieces because of social media where you've shared a few of these pieces. But to hear it in, in its totality, the way you've put it together, I, I really enjoyed it. And, and you write that the humility imperative, uh, you know, it's, it, well, you, you said it, right? It's, it, you have to have it if you want to be successful. But a lot of leaders don't demonstrate humility and still are successful. So how do you reconcile that with what you've learned? Yeah, so, so let's talk about the humility imperative. And, I, and I'll tell you um, uh, the answer first, which is uh, it is a constant struggle in leadership to uh, uh, balance between humility and hubris, so to, yeah. you know, between confidence and humility. So, so, but we'll back up a second. The humility, humility imperative is um, ultimately to be the most effective leader. Um, you need to begin to listen to those around you, um, uh, understand that you don't know the answer to everything, mm-hmm. um, recognize that uh, it's a journey and that um, you're going to be on it from no matter how many companies you've built and no matter how many startups you've seen or invested in or books you've written. It is, you know, it is only the beginning of, of, of um, what it takes to get to the end. The, the complexity, though, is that mm-hmm. um, we are constantly challenged as leaders to act with confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, so if I'm going to fundraise for a company and go to venture capitalists, they don't want you to come in with hat in your hands and say, my competitors might know more than me. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still learning and I'm, you know, we'll figure it out. They want you to come in and say, I'm the one to do this. Mm-hmm. And so that's the complexity, which is you are going to need to help your team feel, you know, uh, what you're doing to help others believe in you and follow you. And at the same time, to balance that with being humble and acting humble in ways that allow you to sponge information. Um, yes. Constant, constant balance. Um, so, yeah, that's the, that's the essence of the book. 
I, I love that description because I'm with you. I do believe that we can be confident and humble at the same time. And, and for me, the spectrum really is arrogance and narcissism on one end of the spectrum and no confidence on the other. But confidence and humility really sit to me in the middle of that, where we realize that we can be confident, we can have an opinion, but we also value the opinion of others. That's right. That's right. And so uh, I'll use a good example. Right now, the, uh, the main investor in the company I run is uh, True Ventures and a, a guy by the name of Adam DeGelli. Um, you know, I go into board meetings with, you know, this is our plan. This is a, this is a strategy. This is what we're going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to empower my team to, you know, follow me into that meeting and, and lead with what we know with high confidence. Mm-hmm. But when we're there with Adam and the rest of the board, we, we literally begin to sponge again. Okay. Why? Oh, that doesn't reflect well for you. While we believe in it, let's hear what you have to say. Let's think about how we might need to redefine and let's continue to adapt and adjust. Doesn't mean yeah. doesn't mean someone else is always right. It just means yeah. you have to be open to that inclusion in your process. Yeah, I really like that. And and you know, I didn't give you. Uh, you're you're quite humble, I guess, in in your background as well. But for listeners who want to know what you've done, I mean, you've sold a lot of different companies. I don't even know how many, even having read your book. But you've invested in in over fifty startups, even recently, mm-hmm. and you've mm-hmm. sold several companies for over a hundred million dollars in lots mm-hmm. of sales, right? Yeah, um, I, I'm on the, the startup I'm on now is number seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, even saying that is like a, you know, how do I approach that humbly? I, I go I, the humble approach. I, you know, I've I've led a few startups, but I but I'm still learning with everyone. Okay, anyway, yeah. uh, seven seven startups. I've been a venture capitalist. I still am a, a, a VC, so I spend uh, much time uh, doing some of my own investing, but also with a venture firm. Um, and yeah, I've had a I've had a few exits. I've also had a, some some pretty good failures. I've uh, you know I've had companies that um, just don't get all the way there, and um, you know uh, terrible experiences with co-founders that don't work out, and all the stuff in between. Um, but you know, it's a journey. You got to you got to learn from those and and uh, and keep keep running. You know, in the book, I really appreciated your vulner- vulnerability about that. You, you describe a part in the book where you say, hey, at one point, you, your family had an intervention with you when you were leading Buzz Agent. Yeah. They were quite concerned with you and where the business was going. I, I don't even know, did you feel that same concern at the time? Because they were trying to say, hey, stop before this gets too crazy. Yeah. So the the story with Buzz Asia, Buzz Asia was founded in 2001. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd had one um, significant startup before, um, which ran for about five years called mm-hmm. um, uh, 360 Merch. Uh, bad co-founder situation. We ended up selling that business um, uh, just to get out, really, because mm-hmm. we weren't going to. Anyway. Anyway. Um, so when we went to start Buzz Agent, um, I, I had sort of a light bulb moment about that business. If we could uh, give people products and services um, to try for free, they're going to naturally talk about them. And when they talk about them, that's going to generate impact in sales. Just mm-hmm. pretty, pretty same. To me, that's a, that's a pretty standard formula. Word of mouth is powerful. How do you harness it? That was mm-hmm. the formula. Anyway, we spent the first year trying to raise money and we were turned down by about 200 investors. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, you know, the first startup was pretty hard. My, I came home one day, my, my wife, my, my brother, a couple of friends are sitting on the couch and I walk in and they say, we need to talk to you about this company. We need you mm-hmm. to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, now, one thing that's hard to balance is the difference between, you know, relentless passion and, 
or we're going to make it happen. And, you know, no one else understands and mm-hmm. it's time to hang this up. Um, right. Buzz agent was for me pretty obvious. Like this was, this was going to happen. The power of, of, of opinion is so strong. And um, so I, you know, I, I rebuffed them lightly. I listened actually probably at the time I didn't listen very well. I was still pretty, a pretty arrogant leader. Um, and uh, we made it through that one. We made it through, but, but um, you know, they were justified in their understanding of the risks and the uh, stress that comes with starting some of these from scratch mm-hmm. when a lot of people might be telling you that your, your idea isn't worth anything. Um, That's yeah. a pretty scary place to be. Unfortunately, you know, it proved to be very successful and it was as successful as exit as you, as you mentioned as well. Yeah. 10 year, 10 year overnight success. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the, um, the, you know, the, the path to that, I mean, just to give you some examples, we, we were on the cover of New York times magazine in 2004, mm-hmm. the cover mm-hmm. story. I tried to, in my, in my hubris, I, I called the reporter and I said, so do I get my, my picture on the cover? Like, is it a picture of me? And, and I will never forget the reporter saying, no, that's for really famous people. Gotcha. Like, oh, all right. Okay. That's not me. Okay. Gotcha. Um, anyway, we, we raised a lot of venture capital and, and, um, 2008, 2009, we got, we got hurt pretty, pretty badly. We, mm-hmm. we, um, we had to do three, um, riffs, three reductions in forces. We, um, you know, I was, I was the complete, uh, you know, my, I had very little humility. I, we built this company that people were calling a, you know, genius business, mm-hmm. et cetera. And it took a real wake up call. Um, we, you know, we rebuilt the company after resetting the sort of foundation. And in 2010, we, um, you know, we ended up working with Tesco and, and, and they ended up buying the business. Um, but it was, we were tired. We had, we'd, mm-hmm. you know, I'd come through the journey of, of almost losing the business because of arrogance mm-hmm. and having to be really forced to understand how humility would allow us to rebuild. Um, mm-hmm. That is truth. That is like, that's not like good for a podcast. That is like, yeah. that is what saved that company, period. Dave, that's exactly why I think this is an important book for people to read because you mentioned it. And I think a lot of people hearing this might even say, but Dave, you were, you were arrogant and you achieved it. You got it through. But what you're saying is, had I been more humble, I maybe would have even been more successful than I was otherwise. Yeah, well, we certainly wouldn't have. I mean, uh, let's, get, let's give some context. Um, Facebook had just come online in two th- 2000, let's call it six-ish, five-ish, mm-hmm. maybe four, in that range. Anyway, mm-hmm. we, we, were, we at one point had 300,000 people in our network. And, um, and we were making about 3 million in revenue mm-hmm. and a guy comes to our office, um, Kevin Colloran, he, if he's out there, he can, he can say hi. Mm-hmm. And, um, he says, I want a sales job. And we said, you know, we talked to him for a bit. We're like, yeah, yeah, we're not so sure, Kevin. And so he goes away about three months later, he shows up, he literally shows up at the office and he says, Hey, I just want to thank you for meeting with me. I've taken a job, um, employee 12 at this company called Facebook. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I'm going, I just want you to know, because if we were in Boston, I'm moving to Palo Alto with the team, okay? Now, I will never forget, I am, this is true to this day, they had 50,000 people in Facebook, and he was like, we don't know how to make money, but like, I think it'll be interesting. And when he left, the 20 employees and, I, and, and myself laughed at his misfortune for going and joining that company. 
Okay. Because we had 300,000 buzz agents and we were going to do X, Y, and Z. And he was going to this Facebook thing. Anyway, he, he, you know, he did quite well for himself. You can imagine. And, but that is the type of hubris. We missed social completely. We thought that, and that thing ran us over and, and the humble approach would have been, Hmm, Kevin, t- what, what is it you see in this thing? What, what is social, what's possible here? And, and the next year when it went from 50,000 people to 500,000, we should have said, we better get on top of this. Mm-hmm. But at the time we couldn't, we believed we were gods among men. We, we had figured it out and we didn't pay attention until it was too late. Mm-hmm. And, and by the time it was too late, our clients were like, I'm going to go build the brand page on Facebook. No, 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 no. You should do, well, no, why wouldn't I do that? They have the audience. Ah, well, and it took us, breaking down our model, recognizing we weren't really justified in missing the social wave and having to rebuild the business in order to get back to something that could actually be, um, uh, you know, valuable for the market. That pretty painful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Wiz, you shared that. I think about how many books have been rejected. You know, you hear about like the Harry Potter series is just one example because everyone can relate, but how many times she was rejected before she was finally given the go um, Andy Andrews had 52 publishers tell him, 51 publishers tell him no before his number one bestseller. And oh, now he's man. a, you know, now he's a coach and a speaker to presidents of the United States and people around the world, you know, because of that bestseller. Yeah, I think you're describing something similar, right? When we get in our path and we get into this track where we, nothing we do is wrong, but everyone else is wrong. Very hard to appreciate the potential out there. That's correct. That's correct. Um, you know, it took, um, I think the way to think about it, it the, the danger here, and this goes back to sort of the humility and confidence construct is the danger is you never know when to stop. Yeah. Right? Or, or, or you're, you know, so like I could be that 51 no's and I'll get to the one yes or 200 VC said no to me and eventually we'll make it. You do have to have that willpower to get through sometimes mm-hmm. to the other mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. You also need to be open enough to really listen and understand if there's something you're missing, right? That's, and that's I the love idea. That. I love that. And that's the key, right? Is that we, we both know we've met leaders in the past who have, have really good ideas, have a great vision, but fail to hear the different perspectives or maybe even feel, fail to hear other opinions. And I think that's what this is about, is that you're, you can be confident but you have to hear those other ideas. From the book, I, I just want to read a piece that you wrote that I just, I mean, I, I really enjoyed this book. I want my friends to read this book. Um, but you wrote, you wrote, the humility imperative is simple. If you're an ego-fueled leader, find humility today before it's too late. Disregard the fawning fanboys and king-like power you feel right now. Instead, choose to recognize that your place in the universe is no more important than anyone else's. Know you can learn from every single interaction, no matter the person's credentials. Understand that your competitors are smart, perhaps even gasp, even smarter than you, and believe that media glory is fleeting. Remember that the fundraising, that fundraising is a tactic, not a strategy. Your reputation isn't forever golden because some VC firm backed you. That is correct. Yeah. And you'll, you know, it's hard to remember that sometime when, when, you know, when, when the right partner shows up or the, you know, the right deal closes or, you know, um, you know, you gotta, you gotta remind yourself of that. You gotta listen. Um, I, you know, I I will say I'm I'm running Flipside Crypto now. um, And and we met three startups ago at, at, 
at one called Smarter, which is mm-hmm. machine learning skill assessment business. In the middle, I, I ran a, a, a startup in the, in, the, in the death space, in the memorialization mm-hmm. space. And we ran it for two years and it wasn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I've, you know, here's, you know, look, I've had a few successes and then I, God, I can't make this work. Like, I, you know, mm-hmm. it's not happening. There's, I have the best team, you know, the whole thing. And um, I had to really sit back and reflect on what was I missing. Um, mm. uh, uh, I couldn't just say, I'm, I know how to build companies and I know how to do X, but like, what is it that doesn't really work here? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and I had to change the equation. We ended up winding that company down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not always a perfect straight line. You're, you know, mm-hmm. you have to have the humility to say that happened. We're going to do it again. Right. We're going to, we're going to do the next one. Um, those are, those are tough choices, but you got, you're going to have to be open to making them. Yeah. It's a big thing. In the book, you talk about sponges and stones and you referred to sponges earlier about the the ability to listen and, but also needing the stone, which is, you know, having that confidence. We've been talking about this a little bit. Can you just speak to that a little bit? Give me an example of a, a leader or someone who's inspired you and really reflects this ability to sponge, to learn, if you will, and the stone, meaning, you know, stand their ground. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, yeah. So the sponge, the sponge is, um, you know, you know, uh, constantly be ingesting new information. That's what, that's a, a symbol of sponges. You know, I talk about like, I don't care if you're reading lawnmower manuals, but like, it doesn't matter. Like you want information that's great. Okay. Stones, stones both have persistence, Okay. They have the ability, you know, to, to keep driving and they're, they're like, they're going to be, um, you know, you're going to work harder than, than others. They're going to just, they're just going to keep, keep, keep going. Okay. So, um, the one, one that I sort of always remember is, um, and I think I bring this up in the book, Raj Surat, who runs a company now called Presto. Um, he had a a tabletop app, um, which you would put into a restaurant and it would like let kids play games or buy, you know, buy stuff or do whatever while you were dining. And, um, I was going to Palo Alto one day and Raj said, um, Oh, you're going to Palo Alto. You should go to the sushi place. Steve jobs eats, eats there. And I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay, sure. So I go, I trot over there and I'm eating in the corner and sure enough, Steve jobs walks in and goes right to the sushi bar and sits down and eats. And I'm in the corner, like, Oh my gosh, you know, Steve jobs. And so I don't do anything. Cause I'm, I'm an idiot, frankly, and I'm shy. Anyway, I leave and I email, text Raj, Steve jobs is here. Steve jobs is here. Uh, nothing, no response. Okay. So I'm like, anyway, a couple hours later, Raj texts me back. Oh my gosh. Thanks for telling me. I went down to the sushi place and I pulled up the stool next to Steve and I started showing him my desktop app. And we had a whole conversation about how to build the product. And I'm going, that's, that is a stone right there. Like he just, he went, what you went down and, and showed it to jobs. And he was like, yeah, you know, he, okay. You know, I always, I tell Raj this and he just giggles every time I tell him like, you know, what else would I do? I'm like, I don't know. Really do what I did, which is, I did, you know, I'm like, anyway, uh, that's a stone, you know, um, you know, I often say the sponge one's really important. Um, you can become an expert in anything, mm-hmm. anything. If you read enough, you spend two months reading everything you can get your hands on about something. Mm-hmm. People are going to start coming to you for answers. And then the next thing you know, you're the one with the answers and you've sponged your way into expertise. And mm-hmm. so um, I, I really like to point to one sponge because you, you, you go to anyone who's leading something. Yeah. You, know, I, you know, I guarantee, Max, you read everything you can on leadership and organization. Behavior. You're the guy I call, right? 
how that happened? You sponged, you learned, and then you created your own ideas. That's how we get to, to the right spot. You know, I, I, I do believe that there's a lot of value in that. And I encourage all of our listeners who are wondering, you know, how to do better or if they want to be able to, you know, get into a company where they could, you know, join with Dave, um, learn, be willing to learn and learn a lot and, and come with your ideas, but, but come with the level of humility that says, yeah, I can share my ideas, but I still have lots still to learn, right? That's I've right. Been in, I've been in some successful team meetings where when I can watch people with that kind of level of, of desire and motive and purpose to really learn from each other rather than just prove who's the smartest one in the room, you get so much more accomplished. So much. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish it happened more. I wish it happened more. <laughs> like, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've, right? we've, been in, we've been in those rooms together sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I uh, you know, the que- here's the real question. How do you design a, a, a system mm-hmm. for your team that, that, um, that allows for that and that yes. enables that, right? And, and that's and so, the question. That's the question. So, you know, you spend your days, you know, it may be, it may be teacher example, like where I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to have the answer every time. It may be, it may be giving people the, you know, right now I send everybody I just send people books in the company, like, or send them, you know, not, not here's an article. Everyone couldn't do that. But like, here, this, this is a thing that taught me do like, you don't have to read it, but start to sponge yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, that's, you got to build a system. Those can be hard to build. Boy, I, I can't agree more though, because otherwise this all becomes words on paper somewhere. And it sounds very aspirational. You know, we've, we've seen some beautiful mission, vision, value statements out there, but delivering on those is very, very different. When you do get in the meeting rooms, when it is, when there is a little bit of conflict or debate, rather than demonizing that debate, how do we turn it into something constructive and productive? Yeah. That's where people right. can share their opinions and not be afraid of sharing their opinions, because that's when we, it, it, I, I read, a, in fact, to your point mm-hmm. earlier, a great statistic, Gallup cited that 70% of people admit that they have really important information they need to share with their company, but they don't dare share it. It's they don't dare share it because Why? it's not safe to do so. It's not safe. And yeah. if you share the truth, if you share the truth, you will be fired or whatever else will happen. And, and people want to be able to pay for their mortgages. So they don't dare tell the truth because then they will be prescribed or, you know, viewed as the troublemaker. Well, sometimes, sometimes I, I, I do believe that it depends on how you articulate the, the problem, right? Mm-hmm. I do agree with that. I mean, you can't just go to your company and say, hey, I've got this complaint and I'm always complaining. That's never going to be helpful, right? right? I'm sure you wouldn't appreciate that in your company. But if people came to you saying, hey, you know, Dave, I'm seeing some things here. And, and even in your book, you know, you write about ethics and work ethic and companies or executives or examples where you saw some things that were unethical. Mm-hmm. It, we should be able to talk about those things, right? That's right. Gen- General Motors talks very openly about it was not safe to talk about a 67 cent ignition switch replacement. <laughs> really? It wasn't safe. It wasn't safe Why? Because they didn't want to have to, they didn't want to talk about that there was an issue and that somebody would have to fix it and it wasn't, oh my God. And, and yeah. it was more than just the fix it. It was whether it was safe or not to bring things up that aren't, yeah. you know, if this was the plan, then why isn't the plan working? How do we create an environment where a leader can say, hey, we're experimenting and learning and continuously improving. And yeah. that's, that's what I try to focus on in my work is that we should be able to help leaders say, hey, we're experimenting, 
we're working and we pivot and we continuously improve. Yeah. Yeah. By creating psychologically I mean, safe places. Right. Totally true. And I would say I've, I've been, uh, um, I found myself at the wrong end of the answer when people come to me with information mm-hmm. where I'm and I, and I, why didn't you tell me that? Mm-hmm. And that's the confidence answer. Why didn't you tell me that you, you safe, it's safe here. What are you talking about? The humble answer is okay. You didn't tell me that where, where did in the construct make you feel you shouldn't tell me that. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yes. that's, you know, you'll, there's, it's not always perfect. That's the thing you can, you know, we can talk about the humility imperative and the safe place and all the rest. The imperative is to keep, keep working at it. Cause you're going to have to, you're going to find yourself in spots where your natural behavior is to be like, but I had the answer. And I told you, you could tell me that. Yeah. Hey, hold on, hold on. Well, something didn't go right. So, you know, why? Yeah. Let's back this up yeah. a little bit. Right. Yeah. And, and so yeah. that's why I'm encouraging all leaders ask some more thoughtful questions before you react, right? Yeah. Help me yeah. understand before, before I go out and attack. And, and more importantly, a lot of leaders will go out, you know, I work in a lot of factories, a lot of work environments, or, you know, even in, in our highly, well, now, now our less COVID free, I guess, <laughs> <laughs> more spatial patterns. But, yeah. but, you know, there's a lot of politics in all these businesses. And a lot of managers will walk around thinking that they're doing their job by just telling people to do this, do that. My job is done. Thank you very much, you know? Yeah, yeah. But not going out to ask the questions. Help me understand. Show me this. Or, you know, can you describe when this happens, why that is occurring? Or, you know, this problem keeps popping up. What are we trying to solve for? Help me, you know, take me, walk me through the process. What in the process is getting in the way? Just a hmm. few more inquisitive questions, right, Dave? Someone comes to you with a problem. Hey, could you help me understand where did this come from? Why did it occur? And has that been coming up for a while? Did it feel unsafe to talk to me about it? Why did that feel that What You know, why was that the case? Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And I think that's what your message is in this book for me, is that when I'm learning through your experiences for this book, like literally, I, there's parts of this book that I'm just like, oh my word, I got to read the next chapter. I got to read, read the <laughs> next piece because because it was that fun to read well, and yeah and i really enjoyed that yeah, that's good um so let me touch on a part of this because i because i think this is important the the book the the idea of the book is is um humility is really in the eye of the beholder mm-hmm. and as a leader or or a, a you know anyone involved in any company all of your actions um are, are viewed through the lens of all the constituents that you talk to. Mm-hmm. This is, this is yes, in your, you know, bosses and employees and peers, um, but also outside of work, spouses and kids and everyone else. And everywhere you're going, you're, you're both in that sort of, how, do I, how does this interaction with this individual uh, play into, is this, is this the way I want to build a company? Is this mm-hmm. the way I want to think about people? Right throughout the book, there are job posts. I think you, you, if you remember, you can look at the, the you know, there's probably yeah. six or seven of them in there, right? And um, they're pretty counter to how you might try to approach a, right, a typical job post. But the idea is every time you put a job post in the market and every time someone is interviewing with you, you are in a moment where you're choosing how you're going to behave, yeah. Right. People perceive you, you know, you you know, these little items. And so yeah. it's not just about like, am I, do I tell my people with confidence or am I humble when I tell them the X? It's everybody. 
And so the approach of the book is intended to, to remind you that it's every interaction you have, every different type of person where you have a chance to decide how you're going to, how you're going to behave in that moment. Yes. I am so glad you brought that up because behavior, it all starts with the behavior we set at the leadership level, right? Because our behavior sets the climate. It doesn't matter what we say, our behavior sets the climate. Yeah, it's true. And it's true. And you key. can say, yeah, you can say like, no, 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 I've set this thing up. I'm over here. No one's paying attention. No, no, no. They're, they're, you know, they're watching. I mean, we're in a, you know, you, you talked about, you know, COVID and we're in an era where everyone went and started working at home. And for a lot of leaders, um, those first few weeks of how are we going to behave when we went from an office environment to a home environment was, was a dramatic telling moment. Are you, mm-hmm. are you, is your video on all the time? Mm-hmm. Is it not? Are, are you, are you late for meetings on time for meetings? Do you, um, do you start trying to start set meetings at night? You know, all those signals are telling the people around you how you're going to behave. Yeah. Um, are you, are you, are you um, having open forums for employees to talk through how they're feeling in an anxious environment mm-hmm. or are you hiding from that? Mm-hmm. Right. Those are, those are big choices. So you set the, the behavior, you know, your behavior sets the climate. That is it right there. We, we just went through probably the most, you know, climate setting, you know, you know, era in my, certainly in my existence, um, you know, yeah. so it's strange days. No, it is. So what would you say? And I, I know we, I know I need to respect your time today too. I would, I would like to build a just a few more questions if we could just to, for sure. context, but what what do you do now? Because it feels like the crisis of the last few months is over. We're in a transition phase of there's a, some people call it the new, the new normal. Some people say what's normal, but, but leadership has to, has to change fundamentally. And it's been changing for a long time, but do you feel like this has pushed you even further as a leader to be able to do some things differently? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, my first ever startup um, was in the early nineties and mm-hmm. I worked from home mm-hmm. and, um, what that really meant truly was I watched Oprah a lot. I'm not kidding. And, and I ever I literally would be like a five hours a day, I watch Oprah. And so like, I was like, I, I can't do this work from home thing. And the world over the last 20 odd years, 25 years has evolved. And I, you know, people would say like, I do, you, what do you think about working remotely? And I, oh, you know, it's, it's pretty good. But like, I, you know, I tend to think, I, in my head, people can't be responsible for their time because I wasn't. Okay. And the world has evolved greatly. Tools have evolved. All the things that have slowly seeped into our ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, day, the moment this happened, the snap reaction was, ooh, how are people going to work at home? And now we've gotten to a point where it's like, whoa this is actually pretty good. Yeah. Like I'm more productive. My team's productive. The tools are good. We got the system work better, et cetera, et cetera. And so now, yes, it's a new normal, Mm -hmm. but I think what it did is it, is it crystallized a lot of the things that were already happening. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, four members of our team were remote out of 25. And one of them called me the other day and said, I just want you to know that this change has made me actually feel like part of the team. Because before you guys would all be in a room, it was hard. I was the remote person. I, they didn't even, you didn't even remember I was on the screen. Right. And now we're all equals and yeah. it feels really good. Right. And so embrace those like, yeah, that's it. Okay. So I think I, you know, I hesitate. I mean, I think the change, I, 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 what's happening in the world is terrible and it's sad and everything else. But like, 
in, in business, I think the changes are going to end up being very positive. It's going to make for better, stronger companies in the end. Yeah, I think there's a resilience to it that a lot of lessons are being learned that people respond to in a very different way, a very thoughtful way. That's right. But I don't want people to lose, I don't want people to lose or think that because the humble imperative has been written and they've heard about humility before, that this is a been there, done that message. Because it's not. This is a message that I think is very applicable for a lot of people, even for someone who hasn't had successful exits like myself. I've read, I read the book and enjoyed it thoroughly. And I just found that your vulnerability and it was very thoughtful. Last advice, pieces of advice you would share with folks who want to be better leaders or even employees who would, that you, you would say, hey, this is what I'm looking for in a team when they come to interview with me. Just hmm. some advice for folks that, you know, out there going, man, I, I could do this better. Yeah. Um, I don't care what's on your resume. Um, you know, the, like resumes are, you know, uh, you know, I think in some ways a legacy format, I care about what I, what I can see out there and in you. So if on your resume, it says, you know, like, you know, make it up engineer, great, you know, best coder ever, whatever. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I'd rather see a site you've developed than, than, than read about the fact that you say you're great. Right. I'd Mm -hmm. rather, you know, see the testimonial from someone hear from someone else. I'd rather have someone reach out and be like, Hey man, I hear you're talking to Max. You know, Max is the best in the business. Oh, oh yeah, okay, right. Um, you know, so so to me, it's all about a um, C versus tell. That's important. Um, B is like I don't. I'll get on interviews. I won't even talk about what you do. Like I, you know, like I want to talk about you. Like who are you? What's what's like? What makes you tick? Like, are you going to be fun to work with? Because we're you know, you're going to have to learn a lot. I'm going to have to learn a lot. We're going to have to learn how we work together. I need to know whether like we've got the spirit together more than like, can you, you know, can you uh, do this math problem right now? Yeah. That's, yeah. that's a whole different game. So, you know, yeah. I think we're getting in the air of you. We're going to, you're, you know, the approach um, we're becoming, I mean, the, the whole, you know, moving from in person to, you know, to remote, yeah. like we're becoming, it's all about like, you're not going to sit in the kitchen and talk to someone every day at work the way you used to. So it's going to be all about like, Am I able to help you understand what I can deliver without um, forcing you to see it live and in person every day? That, mm-hmm. That's, yeah, that's what I want to see. I want to see you. Yeah. Showing up and just being the person is, I think, a huge part of this. Um, really grateful for this conversation today. For me, this is, um, I hope that people are enjoying this conversation for multiple levels. And I encourage them to read the book for some really unique insights that you share, but also to think about, hey, this is an ongoing journey for everyone. And the moment we realize that we could do this better, the moment we will become better leaders. (laughs) That's right. The fact that we can admit that we can all be better, we will be better leaders. I found that the people that I can develop intellectual property with, and I, I love developing new intellectual property, but the people that I can develop that the best with are people who do show up that have the confidence, but the humility to be able to say, we're in this together. And yeah. that we're, and I'm happy when I can say, Dave, that's a great idea. And I don't have to argue about who just brought that idea up. It's on the just, whiteboard now and we're building it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Together. That's right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and that's a beautiful thing for me. And when I can do that, we get magic in the room. When, as soon as I get someone in the room and I, I, I did this for some multimillion dollar products, built some 
some big, big intellectual property products where people in the room just felt like they had to own that piece and make sure that that part was, you know, everyone knew it was them. And then they were stuck on it, but we couldn't, we couldn't make it better, you know? So they already had their piece and they said, that part's done. No, that, that's a good idea. Now let's make it even better. Let's flesh it out. Yeah. And, and we would get stuck and we couldn't continue to develop it with those people in the room. Yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Um, yeah. Find your people. I mean, maybe yeah. that's the summary. Like don't, you know, skills, skills, skills will come and go, but find your people. Dave, I am so happy we did this today. It is great to, to talk to you about your book. Um, if you were, if you were to do a title for a keynote right now and address the world and the world and the world, the way it sits right now, what would be the title of your keynote? I mean, I mean, it has to be, I mean, how am I not going to say the humility imperative, right? right. I mean, I, yeah. Um, yeah. I, do I have to give a keynote? God, I'd, I'd rather someone else give the keynote. That's what I'm thinking about. Yeah. That could be the title. Yeah. Do I have the title to can be the keynote? Yeah. Do I have to give the keynote or even, or even how do I get Max to give the keynote? That, oh, that'll be my title. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Well, thank you for your message. Thank you for your time. And thank you to our listeners today. You're listening to the Purpose and Principles podcast today with my good friend and author and CEO, multiple success and entrepreneur, Dave Balter. Thanks again for listening to the show today. Have a great week.